So here we are, three months into doing church in our homes, and we are so grateful that you are still here and you're still watching with Riverside Online. We recognize that sometimes it's a bit harder to do church without being able to meet in person. So we're so glad that you are with us. We welcome you, and especially if you're new to Riverside Online. If you are new, we would love to connect with you personally. So please use our Connect With Us link on the website and we will be in touch with you. We are currently in a sermon series called Live Upside Down. And we are going through what Jesus taught to a crowd in Galilee. It is full of wisdom for living in difficult times. So if you've missed any of the previous messages, you can go to the YouTube channel, Riverside Community SA. Watch, like and share. Right now, I want to encourage you to get ready for the message. Open up your hearts to hear what the Lord has to say to you today. Let's watch. Hey everyone, we're doing a series called Live Upside Down, where we're hearing the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. And basically what he's saying is if we're going to follow him, sometimes our lives are going to look upside down compared to the lives of the culture around us. Now, when we get to today's part of the Sermon on the Mount, I seriously could not have planned this any better. You see, if we were preaching on almost anything else, in light of what has happened in our world in the last week, I would have been very tempted to come to this exact text and so all of this makes me think that this is a bit of a God incidence and that maybe God has something profound to say to us today. This past week has been a tragic week for our world, for our country and some of the focus points has been the death of Collins Causa, the death of George Floyd, just the hashtag of Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter, and then the media weighing in and social media weighing in and and everyone's opinions. And this has created a real tide of division and hate and difficulty for so many people in an understandably difficult and complex situation. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I am convinced that what Jesus has to say to you today is of paramount importance and could transform you and how you see and how you think and how you respond in situations like this. But if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to suggest to you that today's message may be some of the best advice you could hear. You see, today Jesus is going to speak to us about how we respond to those who persecute us, who come against us, how we respond to those who hate us. Now, having said that, while these focus points in the media kind of highlight these kinds of tensions and difficulty, today's message isn't only about what happened in the world this past week. Because maybe you have people in your life who you consider your enemy. Maybe there are people who you hate, if you're honest with yourself, or who hate you. Maybe there are entire groups of people who 
Again, if you're honest with yourself, in your mind, you're like, the world would be a better place if they didn't exist. Maybe it's entire families, entire people groups. Maybe it's an entire race. Maybe it's entire political parties who in your mind have somehow become your enemies. And so I believe that today's text, on one hand, is one of the most difficult things Jesus has to say to us. On the other hand, I believe it's one of the most powerful things. And so if we're going to take this seriously and live it out, we are going to have to approach right from the outset this text in God's heart with humility and repentance, meaning I'm prepared to hear what the God of creation has to say to me. And I'm prepared to change how I think and change how I respond So that if we are going to live this out, I really believe there's a real hope of making a real difference. So let's read what Jesus has to say, say, starting from Matthew 5 verses 43, where Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, this is a common way that Jesus starts all of these sections in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you have heard that it was said. Now, when he says you have heard what it was said, he's referring to either a scripture in the Old Testament or a specific understanding of that scripture that had kind of become mainstream by the time of Jesus. And so he says, you've heard that it was said, love your enemy, sorry, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Now, the first part is right there. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 18, where God says explicitly, love your neighbor. It's the second part that had created a false understanding of God's heart expressed in the Old Testament. You see, by the time Jesus came onto the scene, love your neighbor became, in the case of these people, love the Jewish people. And if we had to apply that to us, it's love those who look like you, love those who think like you, love those who you love having into your home, love those who are like you, and love those who love you. And then what had crept in to the popular understanding of this day was, but hate your enemy. Hate people who don't believe what you believe. Hate people who aren't ethnically the same as you. Hate people who are different to you. Now, That is so strange because in the Old Testament, it is explicitly taught by God through his servant Moses in Exodus 23 that we are in fact to love our enemies. I'm going to read from Exodus 23 verses 45 where it is written, If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to take it back to him. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure to help him with it. Now, this doesn't mean, well, I see my enemy's sheep walking around, but the Bible only says I must help my enemy if it's his ox or his donkey. So I'm going to let his sheep wander off and become lamb chops or whatever. No, what this is saying is when you see your enemy in a point of need, don't just hashtag love your enemy. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not against hashtags, but sometimes we're kind of led to believe that if we're hashtagging something, we're making a difference when maybe we're not. Even in the Old Testament, God is saying, if you really want to make a difference, if you really want to love your enemy, when you see them in a point of need, instead of kicking them when they're down, roll up your sleeves, get involved into their context and make a difference. This is what it looks like, even in the Old Testament, to love your enemy. 
So how do we get to the point where something that was taught very clearly in the Old Testament, by the time Jesus arrives on the scene, something exactly opposite is taught? Well, this happens then, this happens now, and this may be happening to you. And we call this confirmation bias. Now, the way confirmation bias works is I take what I believe. I find everyone else who is saying what I believe and writing books and making podcasts and YouTube videos about what I believe. And then I bring all of those along as evidence that what I believe is true. Then I go to the Bible and I find all the verses that seem to say what I believe. And then I hold up the Bible saying, well, even God believes what I believe. Now, here's the reality. The reality is you can make the Bible mean almost anything. All you need to do is take what you already believe and then you find half a verse here, half a verse there. You rip it out of context with no understanding of God's heart and you're ignoring certain scriptures either intentionally or out of immaturity and ignorance. And then you get to show, well, God believes what I believe. When I think what we need to do now, one of the many, 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 many things we need to do now, if we want to adopt what God has to say and God's heart on a situation, on any situation, we need to be able to come before him, take what I believe, put it aside, submit myself humbly to God's word and the God of God's word and his heart, be willing to adjust what I believe. The Bible talks, uh, describes this as being transformed by the renewing of my mind. And then once what I believe has been challenged and transformed and my heart has been transformed, yes, then let's go out and let's try and make a difference. And so Jesus says to these guys, you've got it wrong. And in the next verse, he takes us back to God's intentions right from the beginning. So in verse 44, Jesus says, but I tell you, Love your enemies. First part, love your neighbor. You got right. The second part, you got wrong. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. So what did we learn last week? What we learned last week was if someone's going to come against you, if someone's going to take from you, someone's going to harm you, instead of responding with retaliation and revenge, we're going to respond with love. Now, Jesus, this is almost like part B of that teaching. Jesus takes that one step further and he says, even when it comes to your enemies, even when it comes to those who are committed to your downfall, you are to respond to them with love. So let me ask you a question. How do you think God feels about when these things happen to his people? How do you think God feels, to borrow from last week and this week's uh, verses, how do you feel when people take things unjustly? How, how do you think God feels about those who come against you, who persecute you, who hate you, who seek to do you harm? Well, I hope you know that God hates that. I hope you know that God is against injustice. I hope you know that God is against hate and against oppression and against violence. But here's what we tend to do with that. This is a tendency, I believe, in both Christian 
and even irreligious people's hearts is, is we see this thing as bad. And if you're a Christian, maybe you even rightly assume that or find out that God also sees this thing as bad. And because this thing is bad and even God sees this as bad, I get to respond to this person as if they are a bad person. Now, we actually saw that in a different context in our nation. Last year, we had a student in a private school put together a piece of artwork that absolutely enraged the Christian community. A few months ago, we had a very famous South African comedian, globally known, who around the time of Easter had some things to say about Jesus Christ and ticked off the Christian community. And the way we responded seemed to follow this kind of logic. Again, this is a bad thing that this person does, and maybe even God would agree with that. And therefore, they are a bad person, and therefore, I get to respond to them as if they are a bad person. And that seems so logical to us, right? That seems to accord with our natural instincts. And then Jesus steps into that so-called logical cycle, and he says, no. Maybe you got the first part right. Maybe there is something here that breaks God's heart. How are you, as my followers, to respond? Here is how you are to respond. You are to respond with blessing and grace and love. You are to respond by demonstrating your love, by getting involved in these people's difficulties and showing that you care for them. You're going to respond by praying for them and seeking their good. You see, here's what God knows, and and if we take a step back, here's what I think we know. That hate begets hate. That self-righteousness begets self-righteousness. Violence begets violence. And so so if we're going to respond with hate and vitriol and self-righteousness, guess what? It's a lose-lose situation every single time. Time And so Jesus says, if you really want to know how to be light of the world, if you really want to know how to bring my kingdom into these dark places, if you really want to know how to make a difference, here's how you respond. I'm going to quote the Apostle Paul who said pretty much the same thing, just in a different way. He said in Romans 12, 21, he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, To prevent yourself by being overcome with evil, the way you respond is not by trying to show your strength against this evil. No, the way you respond to evil and the way you prevent it from overcoming you is by responding with goodness and with love and with grace and with blessing. And that is truly how the cycle is broken. Now, that does not come easily to the human heart, which is why we need new hearts. And so let's read what Jesus has to say. He says now in verse 45, he says, He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Basically, what he's saying here, he's saying, if Jesus is saying, if you want to know what God's heart really is, just look at nature. If you want to see what God's heart is towards his enemies or your enemies, Just notice how God doesn't just let it rain on good people's homes or Christians' homes or Jewish people's homes. He actually allows the rain to fall on all people. This is what we as Christians would call common grace. 
goodness that comes from God, whereby all people are able to experience many, many good things that come from his hand. So all people can have a good time. All people can have a great stake. All people can experience God's grace. And Jesus is saying, even as we observe that, we are starting to understand something of God's heart for us. And then he continues to say in verse 46, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus says this idea of loving, and remember when we say the word love, we're not necessarily talking about emotion. We're talking about doing good to these people. This idea of only loving those who love you, those who look like you, those who think like you, Jesus is saying, man, everyone does that. You, you don't have to be a Christian to do that. You don't need God's power and strength to do that. It doesn't require courage and supernatural love and faith to do that. In fact, you could do that without loving God. But if you are going to do this, which is what Jesus is trying to teach us today, that requires supernatural grace supernatural love supernatural strength a transformed way of seeing people a transformed heart that can only come from god himself i was listening to a sermon by a pastor the other day and um, he pointed out something that i've never really noticed before he was just looking at the scene of the crucifixion and he pointed out that when jesus was insulted he kept his mouth shut now now that i'd kind of thought about before but the rest of the times he opened his mouth, he was always caring for other people. So just, this is mind-blowing. He's busy being crucified, brutally murdered and tortured. And every time he opens his mouth, he's caring for everyone else. All right, so, hey, mom, um, here's Peter, your new son. He's going to look after you. And hey, Peter, here's my own mother, and she's going to look after you. Here's your new family. Hey, thief on the cross who is actually guilty of what he's done. You've put your faith in me and my kingdom. And so today you're going to be with me in paradise. Oh, and Romans, you are actually physically crucifying me right now. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now that challenges me so deeply. And the question is, well, how do we respond like that in toxic situations? And the only conclusion I can come to is if we are going to respond like that, like Jesus in those situations, we need Jesus in those situations. Meaning, I need the spirits of Jesus to change me. I need the spirits of Jesus to impact me and transform me so that something of that can shine through my brokenness into a dark and a pained world. And so what are we to do when someone persecutes us, when someone hates us, when someone comes against us, when someone believes in different political ideals than I do? This seems to be the biggest form of enemy at the moment. Do I retaliate? Do I go out on a social media rampage proving how right I am and how wrong everybody else is? And Jesus says, no, no. You, you, you love them. You serve them. You pray for them. You find ways to enter their need. And you serve them there. 
So at this stage, I think some people get concerned. Okay, Stephen, love Grace, yeah, 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 whatever. What about truth? Aren't we people of the truth? Don't we need to be preaching the truth? Don't we need to try and understand the truth? And I think the answer is yes. If you love like this. The Apostle Paul, he says elsewhere, he says, listen, you want to understand truth and love? Well, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. In other words, knowledge can be about yourself. Love is about others. Now, Paul was not anti-intellectual. Paul was a highly esteemed intellectual. Much of what Paul has to say is incredibly difficult to understand. Paul was not against intellectualism. Here's what he's trying to say. He's saying, if all you care about is truth, if all you care about is being right and showing how others are wrong, if that's all you care about, to quote another one of his writings in the New Testament, he says, you're a clanging symbol. You're making a big, horrible noise. You're making a mess. You see, love wins the hearing for truth. If you are not convinced that I love you, not because I put up a hashtag, but because I've demonstrated in various ways. And, and this could be in the context of marriage, in the context of family, in the context of ministry, in the context of life. If you're not convinced I love you, truth, even genuine true truth, is more than likely going to come across like a sledgehammer, divisive, political, arrogant, and it's going to puff me up because look how right I am. It's going to break you down. And again, if you care about truth, well, which truth are you talking about? Are you talking about the truth of your opinions? Are you talking about the truth of your politics? Because that really seems to be what many people are caring about at the moment supremely. Or the truth of a God who humbled himself to death in order to die for his enemies. See, when it comes to truth, motives matter. So yes, let's apply our best minds to truth. Let's try and uh, get our minds to be shaped by God's word and by God's heart. Let us be transformed. And then, yes, let's give our best sanctified thinking to what is going on in the world around us, primarily shaped by the thinking and the presence of the kingdom of God. And then, yes, let's ask the truth question. The truth question is this. Now that maybe I understand this complex situation slightly better, then the ultimate truth question is this. What does the gospel look like? here the last thing i want to say about love and truth is this and i think this is also something that the world needs so desperately right now to quote james the brother of jesus i think what we need to do is sometimes let my truth sit on the back seat for a while and what i mean by that is sometimes we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak I think we need to be quick to listen, not so that I can figure out where you're wrong so I can prove where I'm right, but quick to listen so that I can develop another gracious gospel-centered thing, which is genuine empathy. 
So as I'm quick to listen, I figure out just something, a glimpse of what it's like to live in your skin or what it's like to live a day in your shoes. To develop compassion, Jesus was always moved by compassion, a genuine emotion of compassion. And I believe that we need to do the same. And one of the ways we do that is not by not having a truth, but by being quick to listen and slow to speak. All the while doing what Jesus is teaching us, praying for them, seeking to do good towards them, demonstrating that I love them. Now, maybe this sounds so unattainable. If you think about where you're at, how maybe you've responded to either the situation of this last week or similar situations or, or deeply personal and painful situations. So to end off, I want to tell one story and, and end off with two quotes. And the story is about a, a famous pastor. I'm not going to mention his name, although he has gone very public with the story. Who, when he was younger, before he became a Christian, he, his, him and his family discovered that his sister had been sexually molested by a teacher. And she wasn't the only one. And so everything within him wanted to smash this guy's face in. In fact, he prayed to a God he didn't yet believe in, that this guy would burn in hell. And he vowed to do everything that he could in his power to cause this guy suffering. Then this, not the teacher, this pastor became a Christian. And he started understanding God's forgiveness of him. And then he started recognizing that he needed to, needed to respond in similar ways to people around him. And when it came to this particular story, he was like, no ways. Seriously, Lord, you, you want me to respond to this guy with this situation with forgiveness? No way. But the Lord is good to him. And a while later, eventually this pastor got to the point where he said, I, I could pray, Lord. I don't know what to say, but I, I pray for this guy. Out there, I pray for him. Amen. I, I don't know what else to do. And that's all he had the faith for, for a long season. And then more time passed. And again, being convicted by these exact verses, he got to the point where he could say, okay, Lord, I pray that you bless this person. You know, I'm here. They're out there. You're there with this guy. Bless him. Just don't involve me in the blessing. I don't, I don't want to be part of that. That's all he could pray for a season. And then he got to the point where God just confronted him with the spirit of unforgiveness. And eventually he just came before God and realized that he needed to fully forgive this guy who had done such horrible evils to their family. So he decided to sit down and he wrote down a letter to get to this teacher. And the letter explained this idea of I'm forgiving you, but, but why am I forgiving you? And he explained the gospel, how God has forgiven us for such painful things. And so therefore, I'm going to forgive you. And we know to him at this stage, this, this teacher was actually literally on his deathbed in a hospital. So this letter comes to him. He can't even read it for himself. So a nurse had to read it for him. As this nurse is reading out this letter, this teacher tears up and he's so emotional. And he gets the nurse to read it again. Now, 
I tell you the story because maybe you're in a situation where you don't even want to forgive. You don't even want to love your enemies. And so my question is just, what's the next step that you can take? Instead of kind of staring up this mountain and saying, I'm never going to cross this mountain of forgiveness, so I'm not going to do anything. Maybe God is just going to lead you to pray the prayer, Lord, I want to forgive. I just don't know how to. I don't know where to. And then allow the Lord to lead you on a journey. Maybe it's going to happen in in moments. Maybe it's going to happen in months. Where bit by bit, the Lord leads you more and more towards a spirit of forgiveness. Where you have a transformed heart and a transformed mind. Now, I said I wanted to end with two quotes. And both of these quotes come from Dr. Martin Luther King. Now, there's a reason that the efforts of Dr. Martin Luther King did more to come against injustice than some of the more violent protests that were happening either before him or at the same time as him. You see, for Dr. Martin Luther King, many of you know, he was, he was a pastor. And he actually understood the gospel. He understood these things And in light of the fact that he wanted to be a powerful agent coming against injustice, he said, well, I'm still going to try and do it God's way. And here's what he had to say. He said, hate begets hate. Violence begets violence. Toughness begets a greater toughness. We must meet the forces of hate with the power of love. Our aim must never be to defeat Or humiliate the white man. But to win his friendship and understanding. This truth can be applied into every single difficult context that you find yourself in. And then the final quote is this. He says, the ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral. Begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie, nor establish the truth. Through violence, you may murder the hater, but you do not murder the hate. In fact, violence merely increases the hate. Returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And so I want to give us an opportunity to pray. Because I believe real transformation happens in the presence of God as we invite Him in, in prayer. We respond to His word with repentance and faith, trusting His ways over my ways. We confess our brokenness and our natural instincts to Him And we beg for a transformed heart and spirit. And so let's do that together. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And if you are with us for the first time, we trust that it was meaningful and that you'll be back. Also, please do be in touch with us through our online spaces.